Welcome to this episode of the Heart Podcast. My name is Dr. James Rudd. I'm an associate editor at Heart, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Carlos Iribaran, who uh, I'm speaking to from Kaiser Permanente, uh, the Northern California Division of Research, Oakland, California. Uh, Carlos, many thanks for joining us today. Great, it's a pleasure to be with you. And Carlos, can you give us a little bit about your own background? Are you, you're an epidemiologist, is that right? Yes, uh, I've been working out here at Kaiser Northern California for over 20 years, and my main focus is on cardiovascular disease epidemiology uh, with an emphasis on primary prevention. Okay, and uh, you've recently had a paper published in Heart, which was actually entitled High Sensitivity Cardiac Troponin I, an Incident Coronary Heart Disease Amongst Asymptomatic Older Adults. And this really caught the attention of both myself and uh, our editor, Catherine Otto. And in fact, she made it the editor's choice uh, in a recent edition of Heart. So congratulations on the publication, first of all. And secondly, we are, we're familiar, I guess, with cardiac troponin and its use in the emergency department at uh, ruling out myocardial infarction. But the analysis that you performed uses, I guess, a different aspect of cardiac troponin, uh, that in, in terms of using it to predict long-term risk in patients without any overt symptoms of cardiovascular disease. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you came to do the study and, and the background to the study, and then moving on to the methods that you use to test your hypothesis? One of the areas that I worked uh, very actively these days is biomarkers. And we have a, um, an ongoing collaboration with uh, Abbott Laboratories and uh, Abbott has, is one of the manufacturers of the uh, one of the new uh, sensitive troponin tests. is a chemiluminescent uh, um, uh, uh, microparticle immunoassay that uh, has been approved in Europe but has not been approved by the FDA in the United States. And one of the exciting aspects of, the, of this new assay is that it is actually detectable. Levels are detectable in asymptomatic patients. Uh, as you know, troponin has been traditionally used and is the preferred biomarker for the diagnosis of acute myocardial infarction in the acute setting. But with this new generation of assays, we are able to detect levels in uh, patients like you and me, totally uh, asymptomatic and healthy. So we set out to do a large cohort study in patients without prior history of uh, cardiovascular disease, and then measure this uh, high-sensitive troponin I with this new assay, and then in, in, in bank samples that we had from a prior study. Uh, these are samples that were collected about 10 years ago. Uh, so we have 10 years worth of longitudinal uh, follow-up uh, in these patients uh, that uh, were members of Kaiser Northern California. Then we performed a traditional uh, survival analysis, if you will, looking to see whether levels of troponin I measured at baseline were predicted uh, predictive of uh, coronary heart disease at follow-up, and that was a hypothesis. And lo and behold, uh, uh, troponin I emerged as a robust and independent predictor of future risk of coronary disease. So in a nutshell, that's the study we did. Okay. And you followed 
How many patients was it for an average of around 11, 12 years, wasn't it? It was well over 1,000, 1,100 uh, patients. Okay, 1,135, I have it in front of me here, okay. Correct. So you, you went back to the original samples, banked in 2002 to 2004, and used the very modern assay that Abbott provided. And we also have a very detailed uh, characterization of the cohort in terms of uh, cardiovascular traditional and novel cardiovascular risk factors, as well as the ability to, as I indicated, to ascertain uh, follow-up uh, of these patients through the electronic health record at Kaiser. So we, we knew who developed what and when, and we also knew whether these patients had left the plan. Uh, so we, we would apply uh, a, uh, a censoring uh, at that point, so it wouldn't be part of the follow-up, uh, no longer they left the plan. And we also have information on, on, on deceased patients and the cost of death. Okay, so very comprehensively um, gathered cohort of data. And these were mainly, or these were entirely asymptomatic patients? Uh, with... Yes. Yes, I didn't say that. This was part of a uh, larger study. Uh, it, it was originally designed as a case control study uh, to examine or to learn about uh, genetic factors for coronary disease. Um, so these are actually the control patients. Uh, the analysis that we've done uh, was primarily focused on, on the control patients who did not have prior uh, cardiovascular disease, uh, precisely because we wanted to address the, 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 the knowledge gap that exists in regards of the potential utility of high-sensitive of high troponin in asymptomatic patients. Uh, as you probably know, there's uh, quite a bit of literature uh, on uh, the pronoxate value of high-sense troponin among patients with unstable angina, uh, with stable angina, uh, patients who, for example, um, also on, on uh, chemotherapy after non-cardiac surgery. So there's quite a bit of, of evidence among patients with pre-existing conditions. Okay. So we, we really, this study was undertaken to fill that knowledge gap in, in patients in, in the asymptomatic space, if you yeah, will. I understand you. And remarkably, you found that amongst almost every one of the patients you studied, almost 100% had a measurable level of the highest sensitivity troponin I asset. Correct. I have to qualify that. And that was one of the points that one of the reviewers raised was we actually looked back at the data and the manufacturer Abbott provides what's called the limit of detection, which yeah. is the lowest value that is believable. And there were, I think there was three uh, something along the lines of three men and 11 women out of 1,000 that were below the limit of detection. Okay. So that gives you a sense that over 99% of this cohort had a measurable troponin above the limit of detection, which is remarkable. If you, if you had told me that before we did the study, I would not believe you. And why do you think that is, Carlos? What do you think is causing this troponin leak in these apparently healthy asymptomatic patients? Well, I, I think what's going on is uh, these patients were, uh, on average, I think in the uh, uh, in the um, early 60s, they were kind of entering um, older age. Uh, so there's uh, already uh, not just the uh, the cardiovascular risk factor burden of 30% diabetic, uh, almost half with hypertension, 30% on statins. So even though they are symptomatic, they already have. Uh, 
a, a, a cardiovascular uh, risk factor burden. And in addition, there's um, evidence that uh, a structural heart disease, for example, cardiomyopathies or uh, even presence of uh, left ventricular hypertrophy in the echo and the ECG are associated with elevated, elevated troponin levels. So it is a, it's a very sensitive marker of any damage that is caused to the heart cells. Okay. Uh, the concept of, of, of microtroponin leaks. Uh, I, I, I think uh, I'm here in California where we have uh, a lot of earthquakes, so I can make a, a comparison between uh, minor troponin leaks are small earthquakes, and then the MI is the big earthquake. So perhaps what's happening here is that minor, minor uh, earthquakes are going to be predicting the big ones. So that's sort of the analogy that I like to make. Okay, well, no, no, that, that uh, has painted a, a nice picture in my mind of, of what might be going on here. And I see that one of the, the criticisms that you raised, or the limitations, I guess, that you raised about your own paper was that you didn't have any measure of left ventricular wall thickening like an echocardiogram. Yeah, unfortunately, we did not did echoes in this patient's baseline. But in terms of the headline results, I guess, from my point of view, is the remarkable fact that almost everybody had a detectable level of high sensitivity troponin. And then also, you compared prediction of actual hard cardiovascular events uh, using the simple framing and risk score and then adding in the troponin. And you did see that there was an improvement uh, in the ability of the framing and risk score plus troponin compared to framing them alone. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? I mean, is that some way that you think this test might end up, might end up in one of these uh, risk scoring algorithms? Yeah, that certainly has elevated the findings to, uh, to clinical relevance. So we plotted the, uh, the ROC curves and we, we saw an improvement in the curve. I'm also looking at the paper. Uh, the improvement was from 0.168 to 0.70. We do know that moving ROC curves is very hard. Yeah. Uh, so even a two percent displacement on the curve, I think it's it's is noteworthy. But more importantly, we estimated uh, what is now the standard in pronostic utility, the net reclassification index, the NRI, uh, which is eighteen percent. Anything over ten, I think it's 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 worth paying attention to, and that's a measure of patients who without knowledge of the new risk factor, uh, and then you add the new risk factor and they move to a higher risk category. They move to a over 20% risk uh, according to the uh, framing and equation. So those patients are sort of a, a, a target for more, perhaps more aggressive uh, management uh, because of the elevated elevation of, of, of high sense troponin. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's, a, that's fantastic insight you're giving us there. Uh, so what's next, both for your group and for the larger field? Are you, have you got your hands on larger data sets where you can test some of these hypotheses? In, indeed. Uh, I think we're pursuing two avenues. One is, uh, obviously, we only have one measure at this point, and I think we need to understand what's going on over time. So it's important to understand uh, uh, if, if troponin, uh, high-sense troponin remains elevated or it, it's just a blip or okay. is it coming down. And in fact, there's some novel data I've seen from the ARIC study. It's not published yet, but uh, that uh, points in that direction. And um, I'm also uh, pursuing um, uh, this assay in, in, in a large cohort of 5,000 women. 
uh, that uh, will will be following up uh, for the foreseeable future because uh, this, this is a great interest in, in, um, in, in, in novel predictors of cardiovascular disease, particularly in women that, that are been traditionally less studied than men. Absolutely, yeah, very underrepresented in certain large uh, cohort studies we've, we've seen in the past. Fantastic. Well, um, thank you very much for your time, uh, Dr. Iribaran, for uh, giving us some extra insights into this publication in heart. Uh, my name is James Wright, Associate Editor, and thank you very much for joining us for this episode of the Heart Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.